If you've been enjoying and learning from the Be The Bridge podcast, we invite you to join us in this work. You can support and sustain our mission as a recurring partner at bethebridge.com forward slash give. You can also help spread this word of bridge building by supporting and really sporting our apparel. So if you haven't gotten your Be The Bridge hat, sweatshirt, all of the things, let's take the message to the street. Visit our online store at shop.bethebridge.com and make sure we're spreading the word about all the work that Be The Bridge is doing and will do. At Be The Bridge, we're doing the work to empower people and culture toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial reconciliation. And this work is only possible because of the generosity of bridge builders like you. So thank you so much for those of you who are listening and sharing our podcast, sharing our posts, those of you who are giving to this work um, that's helping us create resources and material um, that will transform hearts. Um, So join us at bethebridge.com forward slash give and let's continue to build bridges together. Thank you so much. Be The Bridge listeners. My name is Lauren C. Brown. I am the senior producer of this amazing podcast. Today, I get a chance to come from behind the scenes to share with you some pretty exciting news. But before I do that, I would like to first say thank you for subscribing and downloading this wonderful resource. We appreciate you so very much. So now, fasten your seatbelts. Are you ready? I'm pretty excited. Coming in March, we would like to announce the BTB Academy, a new way to access material, courses. It's coming March 1st. Yes, (laughs) it's pretty exciting. The Be The Bridge Academy is the online learning platform to inspire, equip, and partner with people and organizations through training programs, webinars, and courses using the Be The Bridge content and resources from reputable thought leaders and institutions. Choose courses that fit your current knowledge and experience and work through curriculum that will help you become equipped and empowered in your racial literacy journey. So be on the lookout for more details on all of our social media platforms. We appreciate you and we will see you soon. Take care. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. 
Be the Bridge community. I am so excited to have, um, I always call everybody my brother. I have a lot of yeah. brothers, but okay. I'm just saying, like when I have a black Nigerian brother, someone that's from Nigerian descent on the call, I always call them my brother. So you're going to get used to me um, doing that. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute and why I do that. And so I am so happy to have someone that we've known each other. This is our Mm -hmm. first time meeting and talking. Right. But I feel like I know you. Same. Same. (laughs) (laughs) And I have the pleasure of introducing you to Pastor John Anwuchekwa, um, who is the pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, the best city in the world right now. Okay, um, okay, okay. I get to say that because I live here too. Um, he is um, he is working in one in in, in one of the um, oldest inner city neighborhoods. He currently serves as the council associate for the Gospel Coalition. He speaks at colleges, conferences, and internationally. Um, you hold a degree in Christian education from Dallas Theological Seminary and is currently pursuing his doctorate in church leadership and community witness from Emory University's um, Candler School of Theology. Um, he's been married for 14 years. Um, he just adopted a dog that I, I, I found out about a poodle. And he loves his beautiful wife, Chandra, and they are proud parents to a beloved baby girl. Um, And then some of the latest things that um, John has been working on that I want you guys to hear about is Portrait Coffee. If you're here, if you're listening from the Atlanta area, um, if you've gotten some gifts from Be The Bridge before in the past, you may have gotten some Portrait Coffee. It's a company that exists to empower and equip Atlanta natives and residents with genuine career and life opportunities in the world of coffee. And so um, you're speaking my language when it comes to coffee. So, brother, it is a pleasure to have you on the Be The Bridge podcast. It's been a long time coming. Um, I want to hear more. I know I just did your your, your bio introduction, but I want you to kind of, I can't say everything. I want you to fill in the gaps that I missed um, in in the introduction and just tell the Be The Bridge audience who you are, where I, the things I missed, and um, and I just want you to know that we, it's a pleasure to have you on here, and we're gonna jump right in. So, all right, turn yeah. it over to you, Mr. John. All right, no, no, thank you. So, uh, the bio was great. Um, I think <laughs> the only thing that, uh, one of the major things that's changed is that, um, so I'm no longer a pastor. Um, okay. In, in what I feel like is the best possible way, right? So most mm-hmm. times when people say that, it uh-huh. uh, was either burnout, moral failure, retirement in old mm-hmm. age, right? Yo, right. We, we, uh, I lost my hair when I was 30. That was eight years ago. So I'm not, <laughs> yo, yo, I'm not old now. I was a little bit of that pastoral stress. So um, I'm still working. Uh, but I'm no longer a pastor. So as of uh, six weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. I resigned from Cornerstone. So it was a church I uh, helped to start eight years mm-hmm. ago, um, led as the lead teaching pastor for eight years. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, at the end of last year, uh, okay. me and my wife decided that it was right time not to wow. you know, 
We didn't sell our house. We still live here in the West End. We're still a part of the church. But it was just, yeah, the church had grown and uh, gotten to a size organizationally where as I've just looked at my life and as we've thought about, um, Mm -hmm. we've been married 15 years and I've been pastoring for for 16 years, right? And again, I'm not an old man. Uh, And as we just thought about this next season of life, just Mm. really felt like that the Lord was, uh, yeah, pulling our hearts in, uh, contributing to kingdom work Mm -hmm. in a different way. For the past 16 years, it's been inside of the four walls of the church. Wow. Uh, Wow. And now we're just eager to explore about what's next. Yeah. Wow. First of all, that is amazing. Like, just the maturity to come to that um, that decision, yeah. and I think it's also just just really accolades in the sense where the church has been set up in a way where you can actually do that. Like yeah. it wasn't just revolving around you right. um, as the souls, you know, um, you know, teaching pastor, yeah. um, you know. And I, I think when I, I read your post, I was like. I, this is incredible. Like, right. and I know, and I think you're going to free so many pastors up to, to do that because <laughs> sometimes we'll wait until, you know, pastors away into crash and burn or yeah. until you start going through that, the kind of the downward slope where yeah. the church starts declining, but your church is growing. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a fruitful church. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, I, I can, I hope people listening um, yeah. you know, can share, you, they can find out more about the story by reading right. the letter that you posted on yeah. um, your Instagram page. But I think it's just having been in um, um, local church ministry, having served yeah. um, full-time on, um, you know, three different, uh, well, four different um, staff. Yeah. I, I, I mean, this is like, and then incredible to hear that because I've never right. seen that. But I think yeah. it's, it's something when you, you go out strong and you grow, you go out, like you said, it's just, you're just shifting positions yeah. within um, the kingdom work, you know, yeah. um, because there is work outside of, um, yeah. out of, I'm out of church. pastoring. And, and so I, I'm thankful I'm no longer on a um, local church staff yeah. anymore, but I am still actively doing ministry through this yeah. work um, I, um, I of, of Be the Bridge. And yeah. so, yeah, I love that. And, I love that. And let me be clear too, right? So I don't want to paint myself as the hero or as if this <laughs> right. was completely altruistic. There is an aspect where it was, um, as the church was growing, part mm-hmm. of it was, I was like, oh, I want to ensure that it continues to grow. And I think one of the things that I've learned about myself in, you know, this 16 years of pastoring, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years of even starting to think this way, I've learned that I'm a much better team builder than I am a team leader, right? Mm. So if we're going to start something, if we need to bi- uh, bring together a team and build those folks, I am your man. Right. As we grow right. and we get to a place where we need HR and structure. Um, it is a detriment both to my health and sanity and a detriment to the organization to leave me in right. charge. And so I've learned that it's, uh, if this thing really is going to continue to grow and be mm-hmm. healthy, then um, 
I need to get out of the way for my sake yeah. as well as for the sake of the church. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I I uh, say this a lot and be the bridge because you said you need like kind of like growers and mm-hmm. um, builders and and like you got to have people that. Um, pioneer and some that sustain or maintain, like just different leadership skills that you need. But I think it's important to understand your style of of leadership. And so realizing that you're a builder, I see this so much. Mm. And in this work, um, especially of racial justice work, you know, Mm. um, as we deal with um, the lack of racial literacy, I see a, a, a lot out there where you see a lot of gifted leaders where mm. there's a gifting in the, in, in the building. Um, but then, you know, when it comes to the putting the infrastructure in place, um, then <clears throat> there's a shutdown and it kind of burns. Right. And it's like, so just knowing your leadership where we, there's so much that can be accomplished where sometimes some people are called to start the work mm-hmm. and then there's others that are called to, to finish it, you know, yep. to take it on to the next level. And yep. I think that's, that's just something that's, really um inspirational and i think that a lot of people can can learn from that you know um with with us i remember we were going through some um, infrastructure um strat strat ops within our organization and the lady Mm -hmm. who was the consultant she said um in this space that you're in you need a lot of pioneers and you need a lot of builders um she said but you have a lot of maintainers There and she is. said that's going to be problematic, you know. And so, yeah. um, and so that's you know because building is difficult, you know. Yeah. Building is hard. Now, I would love to hear um, how you come to Atlanta. You know, I want to know what you're working on now. I want to yeah. talk about your book. There's so much, and we got to do all of this yeah. within an hour. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you? How did I want to hear some of the backs? The backstory of how did you? Um, end up in Atlanta and why Atlanta? Yeah. So um, after college at Baylor, I moved to uh, Denton, which is north of Dallas. And so I did seminary at Dallas Theological, and I helped a group of folks um, start a church there in Denton. So this is mm-hmm. um, uh, this is 17 years ago now, right? Hey, hey, it's crazy mm-hmm. to talk in all these years. And um, a few years into the church, what took place was that um, as like uh, uh, the th- these like interconnected communities started to kind of talk about what God was trying to do. Uh, mm-hmm. 17 years ago, at least, there was a resurgence in terms of wanting churches uh, in our context that were both uh, contextually relevant for where we are and for a particular demographic. And um, so we started to have conversations about what it would look like to help to come alongside the movement that was already starting to plant churches in city centers. And um, uh, as we talked about it, there was a core group that was a part of this church plant in Denton, about 25 people um, who banded together and said, hey, we have a desire to move to a place where we can plant roots long-term, right? We mm-hmm. had a desire to move to a place um, that um, uh, 
was a city of influence so that we could reproduce what we were trying to do. We had a desire to move to a city that was made up primarily of a minority people group. We decided to move to a city uh, that had a strong college presence. So those were things like as we triangulated how God had moved in the past, we felt like, all right, we want all of this in a city. And as we sat and prayed and talked and thought through Atlanta was that city, right? Mm. So this is um, 2009, you know, 25 of us from Denton, uh, 12 to 14 folks from Memphis all made the move to Atlanta to start what was Blueprint Church back then. Mm-hmm. So Dehati okay. Lewis, yeah, myself, um, yeah, you, 25 folks there. Uh, uh, there's a lot of folks that don't know Cray and the rest of the guys from Reach Records, like they moved down yeah. and they helped and were a big part of that. So that was how we got from Texas to Atlanta to, okay. to really see that uh, launch okay. and the church launched and people came and they were a part of the church in their seasons and transition. Yeah. Um, and then what got us to the West End was, this is probably 12 years ago, uh, a guy by the name of Richard Mullen. So uh, okay. Richard Mullen, he's the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church now. Me and Richard were freshman roommates at Baylor 20 years ago. And for 19 of the past 20 years, we haven't just lived in the same city. Uh, we've lived in the same neighborhoods. So this is mm-hmm. 12 years ago, Richard and a group of folks move into the West End. And this was back when the West End was you know, there ain't no belt line coming through the West End. Oh, I th- nobody, right? I know yeah. The West End. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this I, That's why I asked this question. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. So this was that West End. Okay. And it was a time where nobody wanted to move in there. There was like no thought of a resurgence of the West End. Mm. And Richard Mullen and his family, Erica Brown, you know that name? No, I don't. I'm not familiar okay. with it. We got to talk about her too. She would be okay, somebody. Okay. Y'all are really linked. So there were a group of three families, and they said mm-hmm. we could move anywhere that we want to in the city. Let's move to the part of town that nobody else wants to go to. And their mm-hmm. aim was: as we move in, we're going to buy homes, we're going to be intentionally relational, and mm-hmm. we're going to be explicitly Christian. So their thing was: yeah. we're not going to hide the fact. Uh, that we came here because we love the Lord, but they got involved in the PTA, the neighborhood associations, cleaning up the West End. And this was the West End two years removed from the financial crisis that hit our zip code harder mm-hmm. than any other zip code in the U.S. So you would drive right. down a street yeah. at noon. And if there's 20 homes on the street, 13 of the homes are vacant drugs and Mm -hmm. prostitution in the daytime, and they move in. And um, as they just start to work and build the community, what you started to get was people that lived here in the West End saying things like, now listen, I know y'all are Christians and all of that. And they're like, I don't really, you know, fool with Jesus or mess with him like that. But they're like, but it's something about the way that y'all love one another and love us, that their words were, um, I think if y'all were to start a church here, that we would come and be a part. Mm. So, so Richard was like, 
Hey, man, uh, I think that we need to start a church here on the west side. Our neighbors aren't going to ride the train to take the five miles to the old fourth ward. What does it look yeah. like to start a community where people can see mm-hmm. yeah, people that love them throughout the week? Um, and at this point, I lived in East Atlanta. And mm-hmm. me and my wife had just bought a house, you know, a nice house. It was, you know, uh-huh. fine, safe. Uh-huh. You know, pizza <laughs> de- delivery came to our crib. Like, we yeah. didn't have to worry. Because back then, right. you couldn't get a pizza in the West End. Uh-huh. So I told Richard, it's like, yo, I'm down to move, but good luck convincing my wife, right? I try to use her as an out. And uh, Richard was like, text her. She comes downstairs to my study. And in 15 minutes, Richard had convinced her to move wow. to the West End. So wow. Wow. Uh, we just prayed and started to round out the team. And once again, right, I'm a team builder that I've yeah. just said, all right, Lord, I think that you've called this here. But if you did, who else would you call? And so um, Trip, Trip Lee is one of my best friends in the world. And so yeah. I'm like, yo, Trip's got to be a part. So we called uh-huh. Trip. Hey man, we got a plan for your life. Uh, flew him <laughs> down the next week and convinced him to come down. Richard had a friend Mo, and all of a sudden we saw this church start to form there in the West End, mm-hmm. and um, we called the church Cornerstone for two reasons. One, we felt like there was already a community rebuilding project that was starting mm-hmm. to go on in the West End, right. and we felt that when you re- when you're getting ready to build something. A cornerstone is the first stone that's laid, right? That if you've got a strong cornerstone, then it'll help to align all the rest of the stones. And we felt that, Uh all right, that spiritual anchor is what we need here for the West End. Mm -hmm. We also called it cornerstone because we felt that this, oh, um, a cornerstone is the first stone that's laid. It's not the Mm -hmm. only stone that's laid. Right. If all you do is build a church, um, you're not going to rebuild an entire community, right? Mm-hmm. That the church comes first, but there are other subsequent things, right? There's right. socioeconomic things that we've got to fix. There's mm-hmm. racial things that we've got to fix. There's educational things that we have to fix. And so we said, all right, let's start here and build this church and then let's move outward. And so yeah, eight years ago, we sat, uh, we set out on this journey and we said, hey, the most important thing is that let's plant roots. Let's, yeah. let's all buy homes. Let's plant roots. And the journey to try to be a part of the change of the West End is going to feel like um, an acorn growing into an oak tree. That mm. we're just going to plant that seed and we're just going to commit for the next 15 years not to take an assessment of what goes on, but just to put our heads down and to do the ordinary unimpressive work in obscurity of watering the ground and the soil. And then 15 years from now, we'll sit up and we'll look out. But we know that the people that really bring substantive change um, are people who have a sense of urgency, but they've cultivated a virtue of patience. So they know that their work is what they have to do now, but they also um, do not expect to sit in the shade of the oak trees of righteousness that they plant. Mm. And so we said, all right, that's what we're going to do and give our time to. And nobody may ever come to this church that we plan in the hood. Nobody may write an article (laughs) of what it is that we plan to do, but we trust that 
yeah, we're doing our best to yeah do what God has called us to do. So yeah, that's I love it. Thanks for that background. And I definitely want to go back to um, just kind of like when you talked about the cornerstone, those three things that's related to your, you know, like not just planning a church, but Mm -hmm. the other things that the holistic approach to community building. I want to go back to that, but I I have to say this, um, you know, you guys, if you're listening to this, this is like, I mean, some really great information, but if you know anything about Atlanta and the West End, this is actually where um, Clark Atlanta, Morse Brown, Spellman, um, you know, um, Morehouse is all located. And there's so much history in that area. And um, John, I want you to talk a little bit about the history um, in, in in that area, and, and you know, so people can get a picture because th- these areas exist in just about you know every city that you would go to. But I had to say this: um, I think I contributed to your growth a little bit. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, come on, come so on. right, right when you were uh, when you guys were getting set to like to to build and to grow. Like I moved to Austin. Texas and I was in Atlanta and I um, moved to Austin, Texas in 2012. And I was there for about five and a half years. So where all this was taking place and I had, um, uh, I was in like, um, uh, what you call, we used to call it life development, but it's just basically, I was at at one church I was on staff with, um, I was over everything from the cradle to the career in in that church. And I had one of my former students, uh, but right uh, when I was living in Austin, contact me, they had graduated college, they had gotten married, they were looking um, at finding some um, some churches in in Atlanta, they want at, they wanted a, a more multi ethnic church, or you know things that they were looking for. And I gave them a list of about three churches that I knew about at that time, and I knew I had heard about um, Cornerstone just from although that I was living in Austin, I was of course keeping my pulse on what was happening in, in the area. Right, and right, right. Um, that um, student is now a grown man. His name is Aaron um, Felder. Aaron Fender. Fender, yes. No, oh, (laughs) oh my goodness. That's my business partner. I know. This this is crazy. That's crazy. That's wild. I was his, I was actually I remember this. Yes, I was over the, um, the, uh, the over- elementary, middle school, high school, and our college age um, ministries at a church in in the Atlanta area. And he kind of went through middle, I think, yeah, middle and high school there. And, you know, kid, you know, with social media now, you can kind of stay in contact. And, um, you know, I remember his mom and his, um, their dad. And so he had reached out to me, I think it was over Facebook or one of those. And, um, and then I, I had wondered, I said, I wonder did he get connected there, you know, or, or anything. And then I did saw he? when you guys were starting Portrait Coffee, I think I saw him. And I was like, wait a minute, he got connected for real. Oh, listen, <laughs> listen, hey, listen, 
I need to send you a finder's fee because that's how my daughter's going to college. <laughs> All right. I owe you a lot more than, yeah, just to oh thank you. Oh, my God. I, yeah. I can't. I, I want to hear about that. I want to talk oh, yeah. about these three okay. um, important things. And when you're talking about um, this holistic approach to yeah. community building as it relates to church planning. And then yeah. I would love to hear about, um, you know, Portrait Coffee. And we're going to talk about your book. We go, we go on. And I think a lot of probably writing that and processing that is because I'm hearing a lot of what's in the book and, yeah. and speaking with you yeah. and, and talking about purpose and, um, and, and just, uh, just reexamining and, and, and Ecclesiastes and just allowing God to, um, just kind of to, to lead and guide you, um, in, in, in your decisions. And I, yeah. I would love to hear, um, about that because I think so many churches plant because they like a zip code, but they don't have a full picture of what's happening or understand the history of yeah. what's happening in that community. I see so many churches that are in, um, um, communities in Atlanta specifically where there's a lot of history and a lot right. of destruction that had taken place. And if you don't have the full context of that history and come in with a plan, mm. you'll, you'll have a church in that area, but the church is not doing nothing for the area. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 So yeah, this story just kind of flows. One thing flows into the next. Okay, great. Right, so <laughs> we live in the historic West End. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, like the church is there, portrait is there, my house is there. Right. Okay. So I live less than a mile from Clark Morehouse Spelman, three of the most uh, prestigious HBCUs in the world, and. Um, it's not a straight walk there, right? That what you found is that uh, I've got to cross I-20 to get there. Um, and right, mm. some of that is what you find when you think about the history of the West End, right? So mm. um, the West End is a community, uh, uh, it predates the city of Atlanta. Uh, mm. And so the West End, was growing, it was being built. Um, the HBCU start. Um, an interesting book, Taylor Branch has mm-hmm. a trilogy on the civil rights movement, and mm-hmm. you just get great insight into how Spellman was formed, right? One of the mm-hmm. Rockefellers sponsored. Wow. So it's a yeah, yeah, a huge yeah. thing. Well, um, in the 1930s, Atlanta was redlined, and you can look this up online. There's a map online of the redlining that go on. And for those that don't know what it is, uh, if they're on this podcast, I imagine that they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should know, but if not, the we we Google is your friend. Got it. Yep. (laughs) So we'll um, we'll we'll put it in the show notes too. Got it. Where communities of color, like the West End, are outlined in red. And what would take place is that uh, banks wouldn't loan money to people to buy homes in here, but they would build highways right through here. Mm-hmm. So in the 1930s, there is a map online that you can see right now. You can Google Atlanta redlining map 1930s. And what it does is it segments the city by geography, right? Willie Jennings mm-hmm. is going to say geography is never an accident. 
There's something right. that took place. So, so good. Yeah, blacks are for South, whites are uh, up North. Mm-hmm. Well, if you pull up the 2010 census data and you break it down by demographics, again, a map that you can find online, what you'll find is that the 1930s map and the 2010 map is the exact same map. So what you mm-hmm. find is that uh, everybody that drew the redlining map in the 1930s is dead and gone, mm-hmm. uh, but their racist inventions yeah. outlived their racist intentions, right? And so those mm-hmm. are some of the things that we mean and uh, when mm-hmm. we talk about systemic racism. Right. It's they're gone, but their plans achieved a greater height, right? Their plans were on autopilot. They didn't need mm-hmm. anybody in the passenger seat. Um, so what you find is that um, even the demographics in Atlanta are shaped by, or the demographics and the socioeconomics in Atlanta are shaped by that, right? So these are the things mm-hmm. that we learn. We find ourselves in a community. We plant this church. Early on, we start a job readiness program. And yes. what we do is we help folks through and we teach them, hey, we want to train you how to be ready to work. People graduate from the program. It seems like things are all good. And they're like, we're ready to work. And then as they start to try to apply in the West End, as a belt line is starting to come through and gentrification is starting to come through, mm-hmm. what they find and what we find very quickly um, is if you want to afford a home in the West End, you actually need to be employed outside of the West End to, a, to afford that home. Yep. Right, West yeah. End is an opportunity desert. There are not opportunities that'll give you a salary that will enable you to be able to live here. There are jobs mm-hmm. here. There aren't careers. And mm-hmm. so now at that point, it's, uh, all right, what do we do? How do we think about things? Um, mm-hmm. And that's when we got to a point where we started to try to think creatively. Erica Brown, that's somebody that, that you've got to talk to. She was in real estate. And as she built this up, one of the things that they found was, hey, gentrification starting to take place. There's lots of people that need to fix their homes and sell their homes. People need lawn care. What does it look like for us to start a lawn care business, Integrity Home Solutions, where we employ people that are ex-felon or we can't employ folks who can't get a job elsewhere and even yeah. provide opportunities for some of the people to own a portion of it at the end. And so this uh-huh. is where, as a church, it's, uh, all right, now the people on church staff aren't going to do it. But we had some extra bread as a church, and we're like, yo, we'll help to fund the first part of the equipment, start this thing. It's uh-huh. turned into this thing where now people have a career path through that. Wow. I Me didn't and, even know that. Like, yeah. that is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. I love it. This is local church. Yeah. This is like, this is like your, your, your Judea, your, your Samaria, mm-hmm. the other, like, this is where it begins. It. I love it. I love uh, it. Portrait Coffee, too. So, yeah. so Aaron. Uh-huh. finds this church, right? Your favorite okay. podcaster told him about <laughs> our church. Okay. Aaron comes through. And uh, at this point, me and Aaron both have this love for coffee. So the way that okay. we meet in church 
is somebody comes to me and they're like, yo, John, I know that you love coffee. There's this other black dude at the church. Mind you, our church uh-huh. is predominantly black. But they're yeah. like, and he loves coffee. Y'all should get uh-huh. to together. Uh-huh. Comes over to my house. Aaron starts to talk about coffee. He's worked in coffee. And this is what he says. He starts to talk about the supply chain. And as he talks yeah. about the supply chain of coffee, I say, wait a minute. That reminds me of the city of Atlanta. And here's what I share with him. MARTA in Atlanta runs south to north. If you get on the MARTA train stop at the southmost train stop, and you know this, the train is all black. The train is Wakanda, right? Yep. In the 20-minute ride that you go from airport station to North Springs, there's two things that change. The inside of the train changes and the outside of the train changes. So with each stop that you go up north on the inside, more and more black and brown folks get off the train and more and more white folks get on. So the train goes from Wakanda to Switzerland in like 20 minutes, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then the outside of the train starts to change as well. With each stop that you go up north, the economic conditions skyrocket. So you get a parable of black and brown people getting off the train before they can take advantage of the economic opportunities in a city that they helped build. Now, you look at coffee, the second most consumed beverage in the world outside of water, and what you find is that coffee grows where black and brown people grow. Coffee grows along the equator. But when that supply chain starts to go north through processing, through exporting, through importing, through roasting and retailing, it's the same thing as that train. It moves from Wakanda to Switzerland really quick, and it goes from third world country origin to an industry that's $250 billion per year, and black and brown people share in less than 1% of the wealth. So we said, hey, what does it look like for us to bring that industry into the West End? If we do it that way, and we create a compelling story and narrative around it, I think that there are ways, or we think that there are ways um, that we can teach somebody this skill in the time that it takes them to learn a trade, no four-year degree needed, and I think we can create careers in coffee um, instead of just jobs. And we set out to do that. This is a, we told our story three years ago. We started. And three years later, it's a seven-figure business. Three years later, Food & Wine named it one of the top 50 coffee roasteries in the U.S., the top in the state of Georgia. And it was a, but this is like no sales team. It was just us saying, no, there's a passion that we have. There's a story to be told. And in so many ways, it's an extension of what we feel like that the church should be doing in communities to help to restore um, yeah. and to set things right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, Aaron is an operational genius. He dreams in Excel spreadsheets. Marcus <laughs> Hollinger, he is um, a marketing guru. My wife, Chandra, her aesthetic is amazing. Khalid uh, Smith gets like, uh, we, we've, yeah. God, we we just have an amazing team of people that love wow. the Lord, that love their craft. And it was a, hey, there's an economic issue 
that's affecting our community. Mm. Um, and we didn't rush to a solution, right? That a problem well-defined is a problem half solved. So we yeah, said, no, 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 yeah. no, no. What's the problem beneath? And it was a opportunity. How do we create that? And the rest is history, 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 history. There's some threads where we connect in that coffee story and um, mm-hmm. and tea story that I'll have to fill you in later, um, even for myself. Yeah. Um, having spent a, a lot of time in Rwanda mm-hmm. um, myself, you know. That was, so. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we got a and, lot and to I, talk I about. I know you've you I know you've been there, right? You've been to Rwanda? I haven't been to Rwanda. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. But um that's incredible. Now, I want to hear just tell us a little bit about um We Go On. Like yeah. the just the 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 spirit and the mission behind the yeah. book and why you wrote the book. Yeah. You know, I think we can see the fruit right. of the book. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. In your life, but yeah. tell—I would love for um, the audience, you know, just to to yeah. be the bridge audience to hear about um, your work and your, and and what this book is about. Um, yeah. And I know that it's a short book, yeah. Uh, but how to keep moving? Because sometimes when we don't know or we don't hear God or we don't sense God, we just get stuck. Stop. And I talk to people all the time. And that was just even with my journey to moving from Atlanta to Texas back to Atlanta. Um, and and my prayer was always, God, I'm going to do the next thing I know to do. I'm going to do That's that it. next right That's thing. And sensing God as you're continuing to move forward. But I think sometimes we just get stuck. Yeah. And I just look and I say, okay, this I'm a I'm a step right here. Okay, God, you're doing this. I'm a step right here. But getting confirmation all, uh, along the way. So I... I wanted you to just kind of talk about this, and because I know I get a lot of a lot of these same questions, um, you know, you know, how did you decide to start be the bridge, or what yeah. was the, you know, what it, and it wasn't a decision. It's like the thread and right. the patterns have always yeah. been there in my life that I could point back to elementary school. Right, you know? right, right, right. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I. Uh, we started our church close to eight years ago. So okay. this is um, 2018 or 2015. We start the church, okay. June 7th, 2015. Um, April 14th, 2015, it is four days removed from a failed adoption. So me and my wife had been trying to adopt uh, for years, struggling with unexplained infertility. April 10th, we get news that the adoption we tried to work on for a year fell through. I'm speaking at a conference in Orlando on April 14th. Um, I get a phone call uh, that my older brother, who was 32 years old at a time, uh, a wife and three kids, that he died suddenly. No explanation. Autopsy was inconclusive in the best shape of his life was a pastor at a church in Memphis, came out from doing premarital counseling for a couple that just started to go to his church, uh, went in his car, started to prepare for his next time that he was going to preach, and just went to sleep and didn't wake back up. And this is six weeks before we start the church. Um, and to say that my life and my world and my faith fell apart uh, would be 
the grossest of understatements. Mm. So I think um, my brother dying was the second biggest surprise in my life. I think the first biggest surprise in my life was how quickly uh, my faith in the goodness of God and everything that I preached of uh, crumbled, shattered. Mm. And I just found myself at a place where I was stuck. And I pushed through to start the church, but after that next year, I found myself um, in a pretty, pretty depressed to the point where my church granted me a one month sabbatical. And uh, as I'm there, it was uh, I was in this little like this study, this shed that I'm in right now, mm-hmm. and I pick up the book of Ecclesiastes and I just start mm-hmm. to read, and the opening lines got me where it just says, meaningless, meaningless, everything's meaningless. Mm. And I think it gripped me because it was, right, here I was, I lost everything, everything that I like held dear. And I thought, oh, yeah, of course I'm depressed because I lost it all. But then I read this book, and from what I know, Solomon wrote that. And it's like, wait a minute, I'm mm. depressed because I lost it all. It seems like he's depressed because he had it all. Mm. And it was at that point that it clicked. And it was like, well, wait a minute. If depression isn't circumstantial, then maybe joy isn't either. Mm. Maybe there's a way where even uh, through the bitterness of life, uh, that there's ways to find yeah, uh, hope and joy and perseverance. And so it was actually that book that helped to lift me up out of my depression, not by saying things were going to get better, but by helping me realize that, oh, no, 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 no. John, nothing in life is going to be everything that you hope it would be. And so if you let disappointment stop you in your tracks, then you're always going to be stuck. The way forward um, is not to hurdle over your obstacles or grief. The way forward is not to graduate or get past your grief as if grief has some expiration date and it's not going to be with you for the rest of the mm-hmm. time. The way to get, um, uh, uh, the way to move with, or, or the way to move on is to move forward with your grief, right? And mm. just to know I'm going to lean into it, right? And mm-hmm. uh, what I started to find was like, I wrote this book dealing with the loss of my brother, but I wrote the book in the middle of the pandemic. So what I started to find was even people that hadn't lost somebody tangibly found themselves Mm -hmm. with this ambiguous sense of loss, right? When Mm -hmm. you have a loved one die, um, when people see their body drop into the ground and they see the tears fall from your face, people can connect your falling tears to your fallen loved one. And you're surrounded with hugs and handshakes and casseroles. Uh, When you have a dream die, when you have a relationship die, when you have an expectation of what life would be like with a diverse community die, that's an ambiguous loss. And when those things die and you physically and emotionally respond in the same way, you're not surrounded by the same chorus of uh, uh, pats on the back and casseroles in some way you grieve all by yourself. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, so as I wrote this book, it was, uh, Oh no, no, no. 
I don't want anybody to grieve alone. I don't want anybody to feel like they're the only one. I want everybody to feel like, no, nothing in life is going to be everything that we hoped it would be. And the sooner that we embrace that, we can start to live the life of our dreams by learning. And this is a learned skill. We can start to live the life of our dreams by um, learning to enjoy the life that we have instead of longing for life as we think that it should be. So the book was really this, um, the title was a response to Dr. King's last work, right? Where do we go from here? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, a, oh, uh, we go on, right? Yes. It, it's yes. not a destination. Where do we go from here? We yes. just take the very next step. Yeah. And then once we get to that next step where both feet are firmly planted, we ask and answer our, uh, that same question. And so I found that if we can get the courage and fortitude to do that, that we'll be surprised at how far we've come when we finally uh, look back at the things that we think had us stuck. Yeah, you're, this, that's beautiful. I think the work that, um, speaking of Dr. King, the work that I feel that Cornerstone is doing is an extension of Operation Breadbasket um, that mm. that King talks about. And yeah. where do we go from here? Yeah, and um, also a part of the um, the beloved community, you yeah. know. Um, and and so that that's incredible. I mean, because you do, you know, death. Um, it could bring out. It brings out the good and the, and the mm. bad in that sense, with you know, with yeah. that deep sorrow. But I think in that deep sorrow, you mm. know, and I and I, I think there's actually a scripture in Ecclesiastes three where it talks about like it's better to be in mourning than at a and than at a wedding. And yep. <laughs> and yeah. um and I and I think just having I lost my father during COVID, doing mm. the um you know in, I'm sorry, to, you know, yeah, sorry optimal health, sixty eight years old. And I'm I'm the only ch- I'm my dad's only child. Mm. I have a stepsister also um, who he loved like a daughter. Um, but it's that is that is some deep pain mm. and work, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, this year, I I was actually traveling on the anniversary of his his death, and I um, yeah. I told Lauren I said, you know. I was doing exactly what my dad would have wanted me to do. Mm. Um, I was, I was, I was moving on. I was going on um, in that because he loved the work that I did, and so mm. that would bring him Amen. joy to see me still doing and going and being um, um, in in that work. And I said, you know, I think I want to acknowledge, you know, the time that he de- departed this. His his earthly body, I yeah. said. But I think I want to just celebrate his birthday when he yeah. entered into this world. But I think I just want to acknowledge, you know, when he passed on privately, but not something that I'm right. going to probably talk about every year. You know, yeah. just we all handle death in a in our own ways. There's no right or wrong way in that and in, in that process of grief. But um, but I think you know that is a lot of like. Probably some of the, you know, the um, the working that I I see within this next work that I'm working on mm, comes from come that on. that time of yeah. just um, of of deep sorrow, and mm. uh, that's an incredible 
um, story. I also, I, you also mentioned the issues with infertility and, um, but I know in your, um, your, your bio, I mentioned, um, a baby girl. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so that is something to celebrate. It and is. Um, so to hear you say that, and then to know that uh, you just bought her a puppy that she don't want to take care of. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> See, is that that's the perspective that I need, right? <laughs> right. That's the perspective that I need. That's yeah. the perspective. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, what are, you know, there's a there's a lot of you talk a lot in the book about mentorship. Um, what is the greatest um advice that you've been given as, as a leader? Yeah. That has Ooh. helped like a guiding principle or something that's been said that you are still leaning into every day of your life. Yeah. Um, there's a few things. Uh, uh-huh. One is um, the sweetest word in any language is somebody's first name. And so, mm. um, yeah, I had a mentor that told me that years ago and I never forgot it. So everywhere mm. I am, every church I've passed it, every time I meet somebody, I ask them their names. And if I forget their names, I'll just embrace and say, hey, I forgot your name that quick. Like just, yeah, names are important and they instill dignity in a world that wants to commodify, use people and consume Mm -hmm. them and spit them out. And um, so that was uh, one thing for me. And the other thing that he, uh, same mentor, one thing that he brought up was he would always say this word, uh, praise what you want to see more of. Um, And I think we live in a world where um, if you say things strongly, um, even if they're wrong, if they're strong and wrong and they're polarizing, uh, Mm -hmm. the winds of social media and public opinion and outrage will carry those words and provide a sense of prominence and platform and clout. And uh, mm-hmm. if you encourage people, that doesn't travel far. But pastoring for 16 years, one of the things that I've learned is that um, nobody is discouraged into faithfulness, right? Nobody mm-hmm. becomes more faithful by consistently hearing you ought to be ashamed of yourself, even if they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Uh, but mm-hmm. there is something about encouraging people towards faithfulness, uh, Mm -hmm. praising what we want to see more of that has this unique way of um, encouraging people to do things that they never thought was possible. So those are two of the things that I think have shaped me and anybody that knows me and has been led by me there's lots of critiques in the way that I lead. Like I told you, right. I voluntarily left from leading. Yeah. And the people yeah. in the organization were not like, please stay. They were like, all right, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's about time, so right? I so get, I get it. I get yeah. it. But I think, those two I think it's an incredible thing for a leader to be self-aware, <laughs> yeah, to be right, self-aware, right. you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I love that. I love that. Um, what are some things, you know, there's a lot happening, um, you know, um, in our in our world, in our community, um, you know, with, within the church, what are what are some of the things that's causing um, d- deep lament for you right now? Yeah, um, you know, you know, one of the things that I feel like is uh, that's 
like causing a bit of lament for me is um, the continued critical nature by which I feel like people are um, continuing to operate by, right? Mm -hmm. So I think um, years ago, an article came out called The Gamification of Twitter by a guy by the name of C.T. Wynn. And he just talks about how social media has actually changed the way in which we communicate, right? That we've Mm. learned to score points off of critique, polarization, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think I just really lament the fact that, one, the church has an amazing opportunity to be this, like, beacon of encouraging words and dealing with uh, people that have done some very, very bad things in very stern but gentle ways. And I think that we've we've missed that. So that's one thing. And then two, um, even as we find ourselves in a place with um, conversations continuing about, you know, diversity, uh, it's it's hard to see continued um, continued polarization and argument instead of a civilized definition of terms, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. those are the yes. things that I just feel like, um, yeah, just really wanting uh, to find ways to define terms and to come together and to focus on the right things where I feel like, um, yeah, a, f- a focus on solidarity. What does it look like when the church comes together to address the needs of the disenfranchised and disadvantaged? That when that takes place, when the church takes seriously her responsibility to remember the poor, and that word remember is as broad and expansive as when God will use it of himself, it feels like it's that kind of solidarity that produces the diversity that we all want. And so I think I'm just lamenting a pathway that seems to be so clear uh, is obscured because there's been an, yeah, overgrowth of, um, yeah, meanness and confusion and misunderstanding. I love that. That's good. Thank yeah. you. I, I'll admit that with you. And, you know, I I think lament also mm. leads us toward hope, you know? Right. And um, it, I feel like it's an act of worship. Um, we see um, David, the prophets, do that, um, model that in scripture for us right. um, and beckon to God to, to, to change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, their life and human condition, and um, and so as as I speak of you know w- what are some things that's bringing you hope in this moment? So there's some yeah. things that's bringing you lament, but what yeah. are some things that's bringing you hope? Yeah, excuse me. People that are building, people that are putting their hands to the plow and are yeah. working in obscurity. People that uh-huh. nobody know of, but I just look off to the side and I see them and it's like, oh, no, no, no. They like they're putting one foot in in 
front of the neck. So I'm always encouraged by people, yeah. um, by people who do lament, but mm-hmm. who don't use the best of their platform or wisdom or words to merely publicly lament as if mm-hmm. that and only that's going to change things. But I love the folks right. that are honest, but hopeful. And so they mm. will lament with the best of us, but each day they get up and they say, oh, I'm right back to work and yeah. I'm going to yeah. be patient because uh, I know that yeah, this is this is God's work. So I love, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So I, I love the work that y'all do. Uh, yeah. Justin yeah. Gibney and the Ann campaign. Oh my yeah. goodness. For yeah. years, right? And people don't yeah. know, know this. Justin was the first person to give a dollar to Cornerstone Church back in the day. Um, wow. wow. And for these past nine years, just to see yeah, him and that group just say, hey, in, the, in some of the most polarizing yeah. political times in our yeah. world since like 1864, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. They're just yeah. minding their business, just quietly building, yeah. and I think will sit in the shade of some of that fruitfulness. Of, of that work, yeah. yeah. He, I was just on a panel with him um, mm. last week at um, Calvin University, so yeah. um, and although we're from Atlanta, we, we've been in the, some of the same circles, and we've spoken at some of the same events yeah. but this was the first time we really got a chance to talk and yeah. sit down and talk so that was that was great yeah. um yeah I, I i'm i'm with you brother i i have to have some hope like right and, got to. and hope <laughs> i gotta have some hope and it's like my hope is not necessarily you know fixated on people right but in the god that we serve like Absolutely. you know and i and i think we have in this this complex world and mm. things that we're dealing with with structures and 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 all of the things um you know if we're not leaving as, as followers of Christ yeah we got to leave people with some hope you know mm. <laughs> and Absolutely. um um uh, last question and and then we can close up what what are some things that what is something that you did um that brought joy to you with this month this month. Yeah. This All just right. this month. Yeah. Okay. Um I I love my books. I love my okay. books. Okay. I love to read and I'm a great I, I read that that you're an avid reader and deep thinker. <laughs> oh my goodness. This book. Uh-huh. Which one is that? Half of oh, a Yellow okay. Sun. Oh. So it's, it's a so good. Oh. It's fantastic. So okay. uh, while African-Americans were fighting for civil rights in the 60s, uh-huh. um, Nigerians had gained uh-huh. their independence from Britain as a colony in the early 60s and mm-hmm. were fighting a civil war at the end. And it mm-hmm. was uh, like, this is so much of this is like, like my dad was... Yeah, mm. college age when all this stuff right. went through. And uh-huh. I just n- never had a clue of the gravity of the Biafran um, war. And so I read that book and it uh, it brought just so much 
context to my parents. You know, I called my dad and it's like, I dad, I'm going to fly down and I got to sit down and I'm going to record it and I and you got to tell me everything about it. Wow. So it was like, yeah, mm-hmm. people often talk about, you know, the benefit of books and what you learn from them. But yeah, this past month, I mean, I read that book and uh, at least for me, um, I'm Nigerian. I've grown up in the United States my whole life. And mm-hmm. so I've read and all that stuff. And I know a great deal about the history of uh, Black folks in the United States. And I feel mm. a great sense of solidarity as it relates to that. And right. I've just found out, oh, there's this whole other section of Black yeah. history that I uh, tapped into. So I read that wow. book and then I went online and I bought every other book that Everything. I could find on the topic. So <laughs> okay. that'll set my reading for the month. But that's the thing that I did that, yeah, 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 caused me great joy. You? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I'm so glad that, you know, and I, I guess thinking of that, like you said, you, 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 there's this, having grown up here, you, you know, this history, but then there's this whole history that you're disconnected from. Yeah. And I know, um, you know, with me, I did the um, African um, ancestry um, yeah. a couple years ago, and so you know, when they kind of like ch- trace your um, your um, your paternal and maternal like um, bloodline, and um, for for my maternal um, bloodline, um, it went back to um, Yoruba. Oh yeah. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, so I was like, so I, at the, the weekend I found that week, I found that, um, that out, um, I went to a, I was involved in this mentorship, um, executive leadership mentorship program. And there, there were three people there that were from Nigeria mm-hmm. and they, all of them were of the Yoruba tribe. And okay, so okay, we were okay. talking about that and I had, I had the opportunity to share that. And it's like, we need to christen you with the, with the name. Listen, okay. <laughs> so, How they gave so they you one? they gave me a name. They gave me a name, Oluwakimi. Okay, okay, and, okay. And I had to let it, you know, sit. And um, I was, and then why it's so fresh, I was talking with my cousins about it. They like wait for me to do the research and just, and like want me to tell them all the research that I'm doing, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I yeah, and, and so, um it's so funny. So when I'm I'm meeting, I've never had the opportunity to visit Nigeria, and I know that the lines that um, exist today, that is a reflection of colonization. Those are mm-hmm. not the lines that existed during the um, transatlantic slave trade. Um, so I know that and understand that. But to have a name and to have something attached to a tribe and a people group. And then there's certain characteristics about that people group. And mm-hmm. then people can tell me about that, having names attached to that. Like Nothing I was like able it, to right? look what your name meant up, um, your surname. I was able to look it up and find out what it meant yep. um, and what it was related to. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, like names mean something, oh. you know? And that is why is... I wanted to say your name at the beginning. Um, it's great that we call you uh, Jono, yeah. uh, but also um, understanding what your last, your surname means and yeah. where it comes from is, is really important. Yeah. And so that's more important to me now, having learned this, this 
all of this information. I had a chance to interview a Kimini. Um, oh yeah, yeah. You know yeah. who's another Nigerian sister, right? Uh, right Sam right. Acho. You know, yep. <laughs> and, you know, I haven't had a chance to interview his brother, but that's coming. You know, okay. <laughs> so I'm getting I the opportunity to just look. So. Nigeria, we're doing some incredible things. You see how I said we are. Listen, we hey, are. say it, <laughs> say it. Listen, we are doing some incredible things, it. right? I love it. We are. We are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, yeah, uh, thank you so much. Oh, no, thank um, you. I have got to. I really want to take a tour of Porter Coffee. Yeah. So we're gonna have to make that happen. Come on. Uh, I will we set it also up. have some other mutual friends. Um, um, Samuel Dula. I don't know if you know Samuel Dula. I know Sam. <laughs> we playing a blueprint we, to, uh, yeah. together. <laughs> As, um, Samuel, we were old staff together for many years oh. um, um, at a church together. I was actually Samuel's boss. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Nah, but, that, that, but listen, I, I've known him since I was in college. He was actually yep. one of the main reasons why um, I, I went into full-time ministry, you mm. know, he was, you know, he was right out of college and he was helping mentor um, student leaders on campuses in, in North Carolina area. So we go back a long ways. I was at his wedding. Really? His wife, I was a bridesmaid. Tina, look we at go that. Back. <laughs> we go That's back and actually we're going to be meeting, um, I'm going to be meeting with him and a couple other people in Atlanta um, in the in the next couple of uh, coming week and so um, small world that's small why I world. think I feel like I, I've known you so it was a pleasure oh, uh, this absolutely. is just the beginning this is this, this is definitely can't be the last time yeah I'm gonna have to collect my binder speed though you know we I got you talk about that. I got you yeah <laughs> I, I got you listen Look, I thought I was going to college on fortune so yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be The Bridge production.